Welcome to Violet Sessions. I'm Danielle Radoichin. On this episode, my co-host Claire Patak and I are talking to Thomasina Myers, chef and owner of the Oaxaca chain of restaurants. We recorded at Violet in front of a small audience on a very warm summer's evening. Here's Thomasina on Violet Sessions. Everyone here already knows who Tommy is, um, but it's good to remember. So we're here to celebrate her amazing new book, which is your seventh, I believe, yes. Home Cook. Um, she's obviously a huge um, a TV star, a radio presenter. You write um, column in The Guardian. What else? Oaxaca, DF Mexico restaurants owner. Um, I found out today that Tommy has um, 1,500 employees, just to make you uh, <laughs> You know, when you're <laughs> feeling stressed. Most, well. of, most, most of them get to go to Mexico on a regular basis, so that's Not good. all of them, not all of them. And not least of which, you're also the mother of three beautiful children, so um, I think um, you all agree that she's very worthy of being a Violet Sessions woman, so... Yes. You're going to start by reading a little bit from the book? Yeah. Are we, are we anyone recording? who doesn't know, by the way, cool. this is Claire Patak, who is the owner of Violet. Actually, I'm going to start with how I met Tommy, yeah. because um, uh, I moved here about uh, it's almost 13 years ago now, um, and it's 12 years ago, um, and I uh, started my stall on Broadway Market Violet stall um, because I because I didn't really want to work in restaurants anymore and I was um, but I was still desperate to, to to bake and to make something and and that was mine and that I could create um, but I wanted to get into food styling and um, I had some connections from home and so I got this job assisting a food stylist for this winner of MasterChef and and I was like okay I'm, I've like Sure, great, sounds fun. And I got there, and um, the winner of MasterChef was Thomasina Myers. And instantly, I was like, oh, my God, you're my new best friend. I love you. <laughs> and, and, um, but I was the assistant, so I was sort of like supposed to kind of keep quiet and not really talk. But basically, we couldn't stop talking to each other. We found that we had a lot of friends in common. And, um, and we were cha- exchanging phone numbers really quickly, and, and the rest is history. And <laughs> so without... Um, further ado, I wanted to read um, a little uh, paragraph from Thomasina's new book, which I think um, says a lot about her and um, a good way to get started. So, (laughs) I sit in my kitchen writing this, not as a chef or an entrepreneur, nor as a previous MasterChef winner or food writer, but as a busy working woman with very little time, but plenty of passion for cooking good food and eating well and also for letting her hair down and having fun. (laughs) My kitchen is the central part of our home, and food connects our lives together with those of our friends and family. Over the years, I have spent thousands of hours as a child, a student, a 20-something-year-old singleton, and now as a mother, in the company of those I love, sitting around a kitchen table, breaking bread, being teased mercilessly, and sharing stories. It is the way I communicate. It is how I nurture those closest to me. So, so nice. Really nice. So, Tommy, tell us about the book. So, it's your seventh book, and um, I know you wrote it while you were on maternity leave with your third child. 
actually, this was the one uh, recent cookbook I didn't write on maternity leave. I oh. wrote it when I was pregnant. <laughs> oh, you were pregnant. That's what it was. Sorry, because, um, my last two maternity leaves were peppered by books. And um, I found the process a little bit tense. You know, little tiny baby wanting to kind of hang out. And then, oh, I've got to write another chapter. So um, I was absolutely determined to finish this book before I gave birth. And I think I gave the last chapter to my parents, who do quite a lot of copy editing for me, uh, the day before she was born. And then I did the final kind of edits the day after she was born. Wow. So um, I finally, I did, I was pretty determined to like get it off my plate. So yeah. Um, so, but why, why do you feel this need to write books when you're supposed to be relaxing? Um, well, I, 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 I find I need the, I really need to write books. I really need to write about food. Um, I guess you uh, you earlier alluded to the fact that we um, that I employ quite a lot of people at Oaxaca, um, and Oaxaca is a really exciting creative business, um, and we're always pushing boundaries on sustainability and how we build our restaurants and where we buy food from and fun things to put on the menu. But it's it's a very it's it's a big company, and I guess um, the way I think about food and cook food at home is a very different beast, as it were. And so my Guardian column is really about that, about the type of food we eat at home. Um, and I guess I'm quite evangelical about about cooking because I think it is um, not only really pleasurable um, and fun to sit around a table with people you like and drink mezcal, um, but also it is, for me, it's a real form of mindfulness because I'm always rushing from A to B. And if I can just sit in my kitchen and stir um, some slowly cooked onions or chop some herbs, then it immediately makes me feel a bit more relaxed. Um, so it's a kind of way of, you know, switching off from my telephone, from daily life, from emails. Um, and also, I'm greedy, so I want to eat delicious food. And it's, you know, you, takeaways, there was a place for takeaways. I, I just found a really good new takeaway place, much better than <laughs> our existing one. But, but you kind of feel what's a your bit favorite ta- What's your favourite takeaway chain? Um... Well, I don't. I, I, um, I can't remember the name of it. It's Indian. It's Indian, and um, and it's near us um, on Kilburn High Road. And it was much better than the previous Indian one. But there's something about takeaways. For a start, the, in the time it takes you to decide what you want to eat and then order it, um, you might as well have cooked something yourself. Yeah. Also, it's so expensive. It's um, really expensive. But you say that you know you're sort of quite evangelical, and I know you sort of quite vocally reject this whole clean eating trend. Yeah. Um, but you still come across as fun and you manage to do it with a real light touch and you're really engaging and how do you do that well I think it's very important to have fun in life <laughs> I think my um <laughs> I had two very fun parents so um they, they for them it's very important and what did your parents home. do uh my father is um a cabinet maker so he built my kitchen um he's currently designing my next kitchen um and my mother my mother I guess was just a really big family presence for her the, the family is a really big thing um and so eating around the table was always really important and I think e- eating is fun and I think um I think the trouble with clean eating is it makes food not fun mm. and I think the moment you start thinking about food in any kind of realm where it's no longer fun you start losing the, th- the very important threads about it and mm. I you know I in my 20s I had quite a difficult relationship with food um my I came from a whole like family of models and um and I think for me like working all that out 
the more you embrace food and get stuck involved in it and and cook with it, the more healthy your relationship is with it. And Mm. the moment, I mean, I have no self-control. So the moment someone says (laughs) to me, or I say to myself, I'm not going to eat that, that's the first thing I want to do is eat that. Mm. So um, the idea... And also, I think it's a bit too didactic to tell everyone, you know, don't eat this or don't eat that and you can't eat this and this is no longer healthy. It actually also doesn't make sense because we all have our own gut bacteria. It's completely unique to our own DNAs. So we all have individual makeups that are susceptible to different foods. But what is true is that the type of foods we're buying today are very different from the type of foods we were buying 50 years ago. So I do buy sourdough from my market because it's proper bread made with proper flour and it's um you know it's risen slowly so the proteins in the the wheat are kind of broken down so they're easily digestible so i can eat a whole loaf of sourdough quite happily if i go somewhere and eat very processed white bread i do feel a bit bunged up Mm. so i that kind of makes sense to me equally i quite like buying milk from cows that Mm. fed on grass because the grass is more healthy than than grain that's been shipped across the world so those kind of things Mm a common sense to me but also they tie into the greater thing about food which is why it's so endlessly fascinating is that food is linked to everything we touch it's the biggest um, consumptor of energy of um, water um, and so just by the food choices we make has a huge impact on on the planet's health mm. um, so I think that's really fascinating you know Brexit's happening and one of the lovely glows that well, there were one of the few things because for me I love the fact that London's so multicultural and the whole of Britain we had a bomb in Manchester last night Mm. and the mayor talked about the incredible multiculturalism of Manchester and how they were going to rise up and support each other and be open I love all that but we're looking at Brexit one of the great things is escaping from the cap common agriculture policy which basically pays farmers to intensively grow wheat that 20% of the population are saying I can't eat this anymore Mm. so it doesn't make sense so at least there's that thing that maybe we can reshape our agricultural mm. landscape now yeah and also because uh, Oaxaca obviously you're quite proud of it being um it's, it's sustainable and right from the beginning you've had a, a quite a sort of you've pushed an environmental agenda yeah I mean for me it was really important because as we started to grow I, I realized that the only way we could grow and me feel kind of happy about sleeping at night was that we had this kind of thread where we were being a kind of conscientious not in a boring way but in a kind of fun almost like an intellectual challenge like okay we're going to be a big business but how can we be a great big business so Mm. we're always going to um, recycle our food waste and make compost Um, but then you know later on I did this big project with Tristan Stewart the pig idea which was about you can obviously recycle your food and make compost so explain a bit about what the pig idea does the pig idea is we basically reared eight pigs in Stepney City Farm and then um, on permissible food waste so after foot and mouth um, there was this kind of knee jerk reaction um, that they they thought the foot and mouth came from a farm where there was a bit of a dodgy farmer and there was something wrong with his swill but Actually, the proof is more likely that it came, foot and mouth came from imported meat, uh, and, and that's where it came from. But the overnight reaction was to ban feeding all food waste to livestock. That is the most efficient way to use food waste. And if you, if you think that it is the most um, energy-intensive and water-intensive thing that we do in life, um, and that we also chuck away so much of it um then you want to do something good with the fuss stuff you're chucking away and and pigs and chickens grow very happily on food waste mm-hmm. so that was the campaign the pig idea was um trying to get the politicians to rethink that 
rather disastrous mistake, actually, because now most livestock is fed um, on grain that's grown in the Amazon basin. So we cut down the rainforest, which controls global rainfall. So then we get drought and flooding, etc., etc. Is this what you do think about this, Claire, when you're... Yes, very much so. I mean, I'm from California. I can't help it. It's like in my in my DNA to kind of feel bad. <laughs> um, when you're not having fun. Yeah, it's the fun having um, afterwards. That's the foil. But um, but uh, it's a, it's a it's a very American way to go. Unfortunately, that kind of farming. So um, you know, here it's like you you need. It's kind of almost a given that that cows would have been grass fed. Um, before and you know before, yeah. yeah and um and in, in California it was like sort of 15 years ago we were going back to grass grass-fed beef and it was a big thing and then I came here and it was like well that's kind of how it goes you know but then it's moved this other direction too so yeah yeah we have to keep working on that all forever but you're <laughs> right that it can be it's not so fun that that side of the story and I yeah. think um I think it's important to be I suppose f- I was wondering how if you've made a conscious decision to kind of be really um transparent in that way and take your audience on or your customer well, you on the journey platform to do it with <laughs> well we try not to bash people over the head with yeah, it because yeah, yeah. obviously there's always stuff we could do better and yeah. you know sourcing in fact we we chatted to a guy who works for jamie oliver um just yesterday on helping us get better with our sourcing and always looking mm. for the you know the better fed animal the better treated looked after animal and mm. always trying to kind of improve that but there's always better things you can do and, and that kind of goes down to money as well and how much consumers are prepared to pay for the food and that becomes political because um what attracted me to mexico in the first place was that um good food is really for everyone food is kind of completely steeped in their culture and whilst in this country i think we're really it's so exciting how much young people are embracing food and care much more about what they put in their mouths um, there is still that slight argument, and Jamie Oliver came across it a lot. You know, you can't tell me what to eat, and, you know, I'm eating the food that I can buy. There are food deserts in this country, too, where you can only have access to cheap processed foods. Um, but it is interesting that all the science now is saying that that's really what's bad for you. It's the processed foods mm. that are bad for you. It's the, it's the stuff they put in, in processed foods to keep it um, fresh and preserved that are it's bad for your gut now, bacteria. but not cheap later. Yeah, so. So um, that's why I'm kind of slightly yeah. faddish about healthy eating because mm. it's actually the healthiest way you can eat is just to cook. It's just to cook with some raw ingredients and just chop them yourself mm. and, and fry. And yeah. not, but I guess this book is all about having fun too because I'm really busy and there are those nights where you come home late and you're just thinking, oh my God, can I really face cooking? Well, I love it. You talk about this in your introduction as well. Is it that's your sort of meditative moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's like, meditative. Just cooking and, and kind eat, of, you can kind of, but you can be place. lazy too and you know that's why we eat mm. vegetables during the week because they're really quick they're cheap yeah. and um you can just put them on toast mm. and um you know i buy expensive toast but then it's a proper meal so then i think the economics of it work out in the end the, the, um, the vegetables and pate on toast that we just had were amazing so. oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah reason enough to, to yeah no, that's interesting that you find it meditative i mean i i personally find it quite stressful cooking and I yes <laughs> like yes. endless bone of contention between me and my boyfriend at yeah. home you know like who's going to cook who's going to cook and I think he just cooks now because I never cook um but so I, I'm interested to know why uh you you've how how you've come to a place where you find a refuge in doing that because your life is so hectic like you say and you are so busy all the time I think um I mean greediness 
Sweden is, is part of it because I, I, it's, it's hard for um, anyone else to make food as good as the stuff you've just cooked in a pan. And that's not fancy food. I, I mean, I grew up, my parents didn't have that much cash and we just grew up. I remember starting to cook by just pulling open the fridge door and thinking, I cannot bear the same like stewed marrow that my mother used to cook in the winter or you know, whatever. And let me think of a different way to use these ingredients. And that's how I f- kind of got involved in it. And I think that's really fun, that kind of challenge of like, right, what can I cook tonight? And quite a few recipes are you know, in there from that, you know, like sweated leeks, 10 minutes. Um, and then a little chipotle tahini yogurt dressing <laughs> with a fried say, egg we, on top. We feel a bit like sweated leeks right now. <laughs> yes. It's so hot in here. Yeah. I, Actually, it's so hot in this room. thighs together. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, also because you t- you've spoken about how um, when you were growing up, you uh, entered a modelling competition and when you didn't win, you were disappointed. I read this on the Daily Mail, so it might be incorrect. <laughs> but um, I know you said how you were... You felt some kind of need to earn money to support your family. Yeah. Um, and you've, obviously, you know, to be a businesswoman or business person, rather, you need to have some kind of business sense. And I was wondering how driven you are by the financial side of things. I think I am, um, I think, I mean, this is a massive generalization, but I think women are generally a bit less driven by money than, than men. That's a massive generalization. But in my experience, that's been true. Um, so we were definitely quite poor when we were growing up. There was kind of this constant threat of like, are we going to lose a house? And we moved out of school. I had to kind of bursary at the school I went to. So I was lucky. Um, so I, I was definitely worried by that. But also I came from this very glamorous family who, you know, historically had lots. So I'm not going to, to say a sob story. You know, we were... Tell us about the, tell us about the glamorous bit. <laughs> well, you know, my grandmother, she was just incredible. She was this incredible um, woman from Tennessee. She slightly hid her background. So we never really knew... The, his, the backstory, but she came to England and married a Formula One racing driver. She kind of got stopped in New York restaurants by people like Humphrey Bogart because she always looked so incredible with her hats and her suits. Um, she made friends with, you know, Countess. My father grew up in Warwick Castle. You know, it was kind of fun and glamorous. Um, my, but my father is really sweet and angelic and not very good at making money. So then, anyway, it, it, whatever it was, I, I definitely worried a bit about that and I felt that it was on me my brother was dyslexic and um, it, I felt it was on me to kind of rescue the family the family from disaster. I felt it was for me to rescue the planet from like dying. <laughs> I had a still... lot of like, actually my, my friends joke that I should have been Catholic because I had all this like guilt. <laughs> I grew up with this guilt on me, which I've really shrugged off actually. It's an amazing thing. <laughs> Why do you know what? I'm really getting rid of it. Why do you think you don't have it anymore? Um... I think I'm really being fulfilled creatively. I love, I mean, my Guardian column, I just love writing. I, that book I made, I wrote that book in the middle of the night when I was pregnant. And it was just, it was a, it was a really wonderful experience. And I think whenever you're creative, I, I was good at maths at school and my father tried to make me become an accountant. On my gap year, I was a VAT consultant. I, I was so depressed. <laughs> All my friends were like traveling around the world and I was like in the city being a fat consultant. So, um, so the fact that I'm now doing something I really love. And I, when I met Claire, I'd just come out from MasterChef, which was a kind of crazy experience. And I was full of n- no, no self-belief, whatever. And there was this incredible girl who cooked at Shape and Nice. She was this amazing pastry chef. <laughs> and I started you know, hanging out with people who were creative. But for years, I didn't feel really that I was kind of up to it. 
But now I think with age, that's a great thing about age. It doesn't really matter whether you're up to it or not. You just you're just in the moment and just enjoying life when you can. So yeah, when you won MasterChef and then you suddenly became famous, presumably because it was massive. It's a oh, massive show. Yeah, it wasn't that massive what? when I did it. Oh, so really? um, <laughs> so when I did it, it was you know, eleven years ago. It was the first. It was the first one, um, and I think that's probably why I entered it because I just didn't know what. To, I didn't even watch television, and. Um, I remember kind of joking on the way into the studio and then suddenly they go cook and you start realising it's quite scary. Um, but that, that was aired at kind of five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so, I mean, some kids watched me and some grannies. I mean, I remember going to Glastonbury and a few like 12-year-olds going, yay! <laughs> you know, I was actually quite excited. So was it, that was 2005, so probably pre-Instagram even. So uh, yeah, yeah, way that, before none Instagram. None of that, none yeah. of that stuff. Yeah, no. But do you feel like you are a celebrity and do you get recognised a lot? No. Uh, I definitely don't think I'm a celebrity and it's actually a relief I mean I bicycle around London I'm sometimes on the tube feeling quite grumpy and I think it would be awful if you were really well known because you wouldn't be able to be on the tube and look grumpy mm. um, so occasionally you know I get um, the girl who checks x-rays your stuff when you're going through the airport so I go oh you're that girl on the telly aren't you <laughs> but it's so low-key that it's quite quite nice actually mm. yeah sweet yeah what about all this? I have to ask because I was just reading this Evening Standard today on my way to the, the Victorian Albert Museum, and um, you were in it, and I was like, "That's weird." I'm seeing Tommy this evening, and there was a story about the norovirus and your oh, yeah. re- um, chain of restaurants were hacker. Um, I mean, the thing that struck me about all that was how you sort of tackled it so head on, and um, actually goes in back into that thing I was saying about you being a very sort of open, honest, transparent type of person, which I think is a very modern way to be. Um, was that an instinctive way to react to it or did you sort of pre-plan that as a strategy with your business partner? There wasn't much time to pre-plan. Um, I mean, it just hit 18 of our restaurants overnight. Um, so there wasn't, there wasn't that much planning. Um, I think we realised really early on that we had to just do everything we could, first of all, just to stop it. Um, you know, we've always had incredibly clean kitchens and I think the fact that very early on it's proved that it was not food poisoning. It was just had come in on our supply chain so that was that was brilliant that we could just say that out to the press immediately and actually we were we were we were all over the national news and in every major newspaper but it was we were treated incredibly well um no one was rude about us we had so much support on social media um my instagram page got flooded with well wishes which was absolutely extraordinary um I mean, the impact was, was huge to our business. Um, you know, a lot of our waiters got ill too. And the immediate mm. aftermath, our trade kind of dropped by a lot. Um, but it bounced back pretty quickly, actually. I mean, we really looked after our staff and we just, we, you know, you have to be honest about those stuff, that kind of stuff. I mean, my business partner travelled up to Edinburgh on the train because we made basically a bride and a groom and the entire family ill they came to Oaxaca in Edinburgh on Thursday night and they all got ill on the wedding day so horrific and he was so traumatized by this that he went all the way to their doorstep to hand deliver this kind of sorry note that I'd signed and it was yeah I mean it was just horrendous to make people but you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and I think we um we learned a lot we kind of dug deep and we're 10 years old this year and it's taught us a lot and we're kind of I think we feel energized now by all the potential of what we can do um suddenly there are lots of new mexican restaurants in the space which is really exciting because we yeah, never really had I was competition ask you about that as well how do you plan to sort of keep ahead when um, you've opened df mexico another chain yeah well i think i think um well i think like anything 
it's good to be on, on your toes. And I think seeing yeah. other people doing a great job is really good for you. Mm. If there was no competition anywhere, I think the human instinct is you, you probably would get complacent. So it is brilliant to see such exciting Mexican food. Also, for 10 years, we were the only people going, Mexican food's really yeah. good, guys. And it was just oh like, God. yeah, we know. Yeah, you do tacos, right? We know. <laughs> Whereas now there are so many other people. I mean, I've just yeah. been in Tulum eating Rene Redzepi's um, food. He is the chef behind Nome in Copenhagen. Many people think he's one of the best chefs in the world. And he did this six weeks pop-up in Tulum. He is as obsessed, well, probably more, well, we're all obsessed. All these Mexican food lovers, we're obsessed. And so we're joined by this common love of the taco and the stuff that goes in it. Um, in fact, I just today booked my tickets because Bredos and El Pastor are doing a pop-up joint collaboration. And I'm like, yeah, I want to be there drinking tequila and mm. mezcal. And, but, but also for our teams, it's always a challenge to, right, let's put more exciting things on the menu. And actually, I think every pregnancy... Um, I think the great thing about having babies is it gives you a moment to step back from your life. And I think that's a real advantage. And it gives you that space to reflect. Um, and whenever I come back from maternity leave, I'm like, right, OK. So we've just got a new summer menu out. It's smaller. It's like shrink it. Make everything that's going out better. So like, there's never ending stuff you can do. Um, what do you read? Do you read any particular... What other resources do you look at to stay up to date with everything? Do you look at websites or read for Mexican food? Or just to or everything? Keep, yeah, everything. Um, well, I, I love Instagram. I mean, I, I have friends who aren't on social media and they seem to think that there's only negative effects of it. But I think that's, it's so creative and you can see all the wonderful creative things other people are doing. So I think that's really liberating. What are your favourite hashtags to search? Um, well, I'm not very good at it, so I don't think I do that. I, I've never well, really you, searched what, a hashtag. Well, how do you, what do you do on it? Well, I just flip through it sometimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not very good. Well, I don't have very much time. <laughs> I just um, look at a few pretty yeah. pictures. Um, yeah, I travel. You know, I do some travelling. Um, I eat a lot. I eat in restaurants a lot. I read cookbooks in bed. Um, my husband jokes I don't really read literature much anymore, although I'm trying to get back on that. But three children is quite hard to do that. So, you know, I just do all I can. I'm just still stuck on the fact that you said that um, having a child is, is like refreshes your, your mind and like brings you back like even more inspired because I just had a child and I'm like, how do I ever, ever get back to work and like focus again? I think it's incredible because actually there's a whole new focus in your home life and then you have to still, you know, be keeping up with everything in your work life. And I, I think, think that's... that's the, we want the secret. But what you just said is <laughs> really important because I think when I was starting out as a 20-year-old, whatever, and I was always looking at people going, how did they get there and how do they do what they do? And it felt so depressing and um, such a big journey and a big mountain to climb. But it's all about help. You know, I have an amazing Galician nanny who is passionate and loving, who looks after my children and lives yeah. with us. I have my parents are incredibly supportive. I have wonderful friends. My husband is mega you know, I have Mark. a PA, so I've got like fleets of people who help me. So, like, mm. people say, How do you do what you do? It's like, Well, I, don't, I do a tiny part of what I do because I've got this backup from all these people, which is just so lucky. And I think it's really important to say that because no one is superhuman, we're all completely fallible. Um, and anyone who talks to any of my friends will tell you how fallible I am. <laughs> so, you, you delegate well. I am That's really good itself. at delegating, actually. Yeah. That is one thing I'm really good mm. at and shimming. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Tommy, thank you very much. Um, I think we're going to ask the audience if they want to ask any questions. We've got uh, Warren on the roaming mic out there. Hi, Tommy. Um, one, one question I have is, so 
you know, Oaxaca's done so well and has grown so big. Was was it difficult to... Because you really put your your personality into the brand. Was it difficult growing as it grew and as got the size it has? Was it difficult to kind of keep your, your part in it? Yeah, I think um, growing pains is a really big thing. And I think um, almost the, fir- the hardest was when we went from one site to two sites because um, I was kind of sucked out of the restaurant kitchen. I was no longer the chef. Um, so I became like apart from my team which really that was really hard um and um once we got to two and kind of worked out a way and actually that it wasn't possible for me to be in the kitchens always that once I kind of accepted that that was a bit easier but it was kind of accepting that I couldn't be in the kitchen all the time that I found really difficult um uh and we hang out a lot with our teams I mean we're always you know I was out with them last night um we take them to Mexico we do big barbecues we were always doing stuff to hang out with them because they're amazing and Oaxaca is the people in it it's not any one of us so um that actually is the really wonderful thing about growing a business is you have all these incredibly young inspiring people and they've all got so many different talents Mm. and you're growing them like we really believe that we're educating them and growing them and then they can go on and do a different job but they've taken stuff with them Mm. so we feel that we are we're training people you know we've got head chefs who arrived without speaking a word of English as a you know pot washer and and now they're head chefs they know all the finances they could go off and run their own businesses and that for me is great um and inspiring no to follow on to this question uh you were just saying about your staff and i wondered with i didn't know you before and you sound like you're very nice and everything how do you manage to employ people in that terrible industry where the hours are terrible people do you manage to how do you grow your business and make sure that you importantly treat your staff differently to the culture that is in the catering business well the hours don't have to be really long and i think actually um it's much harder when you're running you know we do street food when we started doing mexican food no one knew anything about it so it's really important to start on on that level um, and also street food informs all the high-end chefs in Mexico are cooking. They're inspired by the food on the street. And I think that's the same in India or Thailand or, or in many places. Um, that's where the food has sprung from. So um, so we're not a Michelin-style restaurant. And they have different economies of scale where they have you know, a huge fleet of chefs um, who, who work these crazy hours. Our guys, don't. we don't let them work crazy hours. You know, that We just limit their hours. So... We, we make sure that they don't do too many hours because it's not sustainable. Um, so we, yeah, it, it's not that difficult. Again, if you build that into your business model from the beginning, mm-hmm. we, um, our investors are great. They, they're in restaurants long term and they believe in treating their staff well. And, and then you have fun. You know, if everyone's happy at work, you know, I've worked for a couple of pretty nasty people and you learn pretty early on that if you're not having fun at work, you're not having much fun in life. So I think my business partner Anna and I both wanted to have a fun time at work. So therefore, you've got to have fun. <laughs> proving the point that you can run business that feeds people without having this crazy, this crazy culture. Of well, one bullying, of the things that basically. people say when they go into Oaxaca is that the staff are so friendly and they're upbeat and they're fun. And that's because they have, you know, we don't always get it right. But mainly, we hope they have fun at work and then they're happy and they treat the customers well. And it's a lovely circle. Yeah, yeah. 
I sound puke making. <laughs> I mean, you know. I'm going to pass it to Tyrion next to you. Hello. Hi. Um, so you touch point on um, sustainability, and obviously at the at the moment there's a lot of stuff in the newspaper about you know food wastage and in supermarkets you know throwing out loads of food. Um, do you would you consider sort of partner up with the you know and do some sort of partnership and actually use up you know food that's nearly spoiled that kind of thing? Is that something? Yeah, I think um, I think our chefs are really amazing what they do we have a very inspirational guy who Claire um knows called Gavin who um <laughs> looks after our our teams and we we don't throw that much stuff away and um it it it's difficult because sometimes it's it's a you know if you've got some refried beans that you think I don't really want to serve these um then you think well who should I serve them to do you want to serve them to <laughs> then someone else it's kind of that bit is really hard I find that bit really hard um and, you know, f- fresh salsa, you know, it's kind of doesn't look its best. So then how do you transport that fresh salsa to someone else and it not go off? Yeah. I think that side of it is really difficult. Um, it's much easier in a food factory. So Tristan Stewart has done a lot of work um, with Marks and Spencers, who there was this famous business book where he was saying a supermarket um, chain uh, throws away the two slices of bread at either end of each loaf of bread. They just go in the bin. So he's got a new beer called Toast which is basically made from that, that surplus. Um, so it's, it's easier, that factory setting is much easier. So it's quite hard for restaurants to actually give their food to people. Someone like Prep manages it really well, because again, that's a sandwich, it's quite easy to transport. Yeah. But when you've got kind of, you know, slow-cooked pork, it's just harder. I mean, yeah, we're always looking for ways to partner. Basically, my answer is yes, if we could work out a way but it's quite it's easier than doing this. It's quite it? tricky. It is quite tricky. Yeah. Hi, Tommy. Um, I've just uh, become a mother. My little girl's nearly one, um, and I just wondered if you wanted to talk a bit about the challenges of feeding girls specifically or um, kids and making sure. Yeah. I, um, well, actually, I've got a whole chapter in this book about feeding children, um, and I feel really passionately about it. Um, B. Wilson wrote a really interesting book called First Bites, which I read. Yeah, when I was. Um, just starting to feed this um, latest daughter of mine, who's also um, nearly one. And I think um, I'm, I'm, what I've always done with my children is, is feed them everything we eat. So obviously we eat a bit of salt, so we try and take that out. But I, I, I always kind of wondered why really foodie friends of mine were feeding their children really boring, kind of dumbed-down food and then eating delicious food themselves. Um, and also I'm kind of... Uh, always in in a rush and kind of don't like wasting time and the idea of cooking one thing for my children and another thing for us seemed mad and anyway I was brought up to sit around the table with my parents we always really enjoyed food together so um I was a bit I mean I guess I was quite old-fashioned in my approach you know when my children were like I don't like that I was kind of like well that's what there is for supper I didn't really give them much choice and you know I give them quite weird stuff I give them you know fried fried rice with a fried egg on top or you know, kale from the garden. But we grow a few vegetables in the garden too. Not many, but so they, they know they know that the vegetables come from the garden, they grow. And I just think it's a common sense approach to food. Um, and, you know, occasionally they go to bed when they've just had a tantrum and, and sometimes they're difficult and they don't like the same things and some of them are pickier than others. But generally speaking, you can get children to like food. And, and B. Wilson goes into that in great detail in her book, First Bite. Um, and I think it's possible for children, most children, to eat almost anything, actually. Um, obviously, to, to some 
to some um, limits. But um, so I think it's really important because also why would you grow them up mm. eating dumbed down food? Because in the end they'll eat bad food. Mm. You want them to eat loads of vegetables and fruit and because that's that's all the good stuff and it's delicious all that stuff and it's cheap and and that's the thing easy. about cooking. It's easy. It's cheap. Mm. If you can't cook. And this is why our government have failed us over you know, many decades. If, if children aren't taught to cook, then they lack the tools. That's survival. For me, cooking is survival. If you can't feed yourself or your family, I mean, that is the most basic form of survival. And also coming from a family where we've had lots of mental health issues, you know, food feeds you physically and mentally. Um, so good food has big effects on you. So why wouldn't you eat the best food you can? And why wouldn't you feed that to your children? Um, I know it's more tricky than that. I know there are people who can't cook and I know there are people who don't have access to buying fruit and vegetables and and even people who live in council houses where kitchens are no longer designed to have hobs in. They're only designed to have microwaves in and the the big room is a sitting room where the telly is. So, you know, it's not... I live in a kind of pretty lovely bubble. It's easy for me. But I still think if we can try a bit, then then, then that's success. Hmm. Do you want to... Um, so you've been at the head of Oaxaca now for 10 years, and I don't think that's any small feat. You know, you've been a woman that's been at the head of a company that's in a predominantly male uh, kind of dominated industry. And I guess we, I think we all know what the challenges are of that, but more how did you navigate that and do you have any... What do you think about it and do you have any sort of advice? Well, I think I am a feminist, but I'm not an angry one. Um, I think that... Um, <coughs> As a rule, and this is also generalisation, women are less good at asking for money and less good at feeling they're worth asking for money. So um, I, I left school. I went to a great school where we, it didn't even occur to me that men and women were any, any different in that respect. We could all just do whatever we wanted. Um, and then slowly I started stumbling upon occasional like, oh, that, 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 that was not so good. Why did he treat me like that? Oh, because I... And I started getting attitudes along the way. And I think it's getting worse in some ways when you look at um, how women are portrayed. Um, If you look at kind of porn on the internet um, and young boys' attitudes to women, there's a lot to be alarmed at. And I think all these things, you can't just accept you've made progress. Like women in the 70s made some progress. You have to keep on fighting and fighting and fighting. Is that particularly prevalent in the food industry, would you say? I don't think so. I mean, I've got friends who've worked in construction. That seems to be pretty bad. I mean, I've never really encountered... I think it was great because I came into food in a topsy-turvy way and I started my own business really early on. So it was my business. So I was kind of... I think it's quite bad in restaurants. It's quite bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Definitely, yeah, because yeah. I know you, you that you have some sort of support network. Right? You, know, you know, you work with Sky Gingle, and you were saying how uh, the woman from uh, Clarissa Dixon Wright is it? Yeah, um, sort of supported you and helped mentor you into getting into cooking. So I was wondering if there was some sort of support network of women in chef, chefing and cooking. So I cooked at Mori two weeks ago, and we talked just about that about setting up a support network because I guess I did come into it in an easy way because I never had to work my way up through kitchens and because it never occurred to me that men and women were that different. Although, obviously, it's hard when we reach that kind of child-rearing age of now I want children, then it gets really hardcore. But basically, I think it's good to do those support networks. And my husband challenges me on this sometimes and says, isn't that kind of... Aren't you segregating men and women just by setting up the support networks? Um, 
But I guess um, it's only until you become subject to any kind of discrimination. And, you know, there's discrimination in every walk of life on, on gender and race and beliefs and creeds. And we should fight all that. You know, it's, it's not just being a woman. Um, so... But it's what you know and it's your experience. So it's helpful for you to, to, to speak to it a bit for other people or for us to see, to watch you. Because it's very inspiring um, to see you at the top of your game and for so long and doing that. Because actually, um, one of the things that helps more women, in my mind, get to that place is just to see examples of it. But also, you do have to keep on. You keep have to keep on demanding to be treated equally, and you have to keep. You know, I tell all my friends. Like when I, I remember at a certain point in my career when I realised I was being paid unequally, and I fought for equal pay, and I got it. And then I started asking all my friends, like, when did you last get a pay rise? And they're like, oh, I don't know, like seven years ago. And I was like, well, why? And, you know, I started discovering this great thing that women just don't (laughs) ask for money. I asked for my first raise when I was, like, 13. (laughs) Yeah. Claire Claire is like, oh, no. Anyway, well, I think that's a good idea, the support network. I would. Yeah. I I do too. Yeah, great. Let's do it. You guys should start it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to end there. And everyone can go and get a drink and cool down. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for putting up with this heat very hot and thank you thank you to tommy thank you thank you thank Thank you you so much tommy Thank 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 you thank you That was Thomasina Myers on Violet Sessions. You can find previous episodes on the Violet Bakery website via iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also keep up with us on Instagram by following at Violet Sessions. The show is a co-production of In Talks With and Wargy Productions. Thanks for listening. Bye.